0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I just biked around Lake Michigan. This
1: is the right thing to do, even though it's a hard thing to do. Of course, I'll give your love to Amy and Viv and Hank.
2: All right. Love you, Mom. We'll talk on Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.
3: Hold on, folks. Get ready.
2: Yeah, that sigh
3: uh, yeah. It's the only Thanksgiving audio I have. Meryl
2: Streep. It, somewhere Meryl Streep is weeping because she wishes, why can't I sigh with such conviction? <laughs> so convincing a sigh as Mayor Laurie Lightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago's mayors. Uh Daddy Trump with his windmill imitation. got to admit DM a little little envious of Donald Trump's windmill imitation I, <laughs> it's better than mine yeah I don't really have a windmill imitation you know And
3: <laughs> best in the nation uh, all right, your Ben Jarofsky show <laughs> for Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday, November 24th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, maybe what kind of turkey to eat tomorrow what to drink what kind of pot to smoke and so much more including columns from our very own ben jarofsky chicago reader chicagoreader.com subscribe and the ben jarofsky show starts now i'm sick of it every (laughs) year we give power to one person (laughs) it is wednesday november 24th and pre-recorded from downstate illinois and his attic this is the ben jarofsky show and now your host chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this gotta
2: change my pajamas wednesday oh wow you're really gonna call it that I kind of screwed that up. Let's just redo that. I got to change out of my pajamas Wednesday. (laughs) Here's why. Uh, Yes, indeed. By the way, I'm in my attic and he's in downstate uh, Alton, Illinois, Uh, his beloved hometown, Dr. Diaz. But he's not completely accurate when he says he's uh, downstate Illinois, because that doesn't completely tell the story. I mean, it's accurate to a degree. But he's in a closet ladies and gentlemen there's no he's in a a literal closet i am looking at him on a screen yes we're very high tech in that we can see each other vis-a-vis the screen but we can't see each other vis-a-vis being in the same room anyway he's in a closet there's like shirts hanging on hangers behind him and a
3: sweater i think that's a sweater closet noises
2: what a show! And yet I feel very thankful and lucky that I have this podcast. It gives me an opportunity to vent, give great thoughts, bring on my friends, have great political conversations, uh, and I want to thank my audience. Really, uh, such a, such great listeners, send me nice emails uh, from time to time. Every now and then they tell me uh, I had did this wrong, that wrong, etc. So I get a couple of those emails from time to time, D. Uh, but overall, uh, no complaints. So very thankful uh, as we come into Thanksgiving. And uh, I got to tell you, um, Monroe Anderson's coming on. We uh, we do a show. Uh, every show, I have a prep uh, beforehand where I uh, to call the guests and say, well, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? I feel capable of talking about absolutely anything. If, I, I really do, do you feel like I could talk about anything. Subject. So if the guest wants to talk about, I don't know, the Philadelphia Eagles, all right, let's go. I'll talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Never had a guest that wanted to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's what uh, I do with uh, my guests, We pre-show prep. Anyway, today's pre-show preptee between uh, Monroe Anderson, who's our guest, and Levante Stewart, who will be our 130 guest, went on for over an hour. <laughs> it was just... Well, you know, I wish I had recorded the sh- pre show prep. That would have been a hell of a show. And so all of a sudden, uh Dennis called me, ready to go? Are you ready to rock and roll? I go, yeah, except I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> so now a lot of listeners are going, well, why don't you just do the show in your pajamas? I don't know. That would be like so decadent. You know what I'm saying? They're doing your show, you're like, what am I, Hugh Hefner? Uh, For my younger listeners, Hugh Hefner was the head of Playboy Who found the Playboy And he'd to have a show, Playboy After Dark And he'd be in his pajamas, walking around Anyway, so uh, Well, for
3: the record, I've actually done that, so I've produced the show in my pajamas I did not know that Yeah, dude, come on I I thought you were Mr. Get Up Early At 5 in the morning Yeah Shop wood Also, Mr. Work From Home here, so, you know I did not know that. No more studio? Who the hell are we dressing up for? Uh, anyway,
2: while I wait for Monroe to come on the show... Uh, <laughs> yeah, really? What are we... Tra- like, we ever dressed up even when we were in the studio, by the way. Exactly! So if we're, we're not in the studio...
3: Look- What's that? I said, exactly. So if we're not in the studio, imagine you know, how yeah. loose we're going here. <laughs>
2: Could you imagine if you showed up at the Sun-Times or our old uh, studio in pajamas? Would anybody notice? You know what I'm saying? And uh, I still wouldn't invite you to the Chicago Bears uh, party, Dave. Just saying. Nope. Uh, anyway, uh, those were the old days. Uh, before Monroe Anderson comes on to join, I got to tell you, I read this column in the New York Times, just shaking my head from time to time. And I, folks... I say this all the time I really keep an open mind I read maga columns columns by maga people I read one in the, New York, the Washington Post today where the maga guy was going on and on about um uh what what's the one they say uh uh d instead of saying fuck Joe Biden they say uh let's go Brandon yes let's go Brandon and um so the uh the writer for the Washington Post, I forget his name, he's a right winger MAGA guy, was just saying, Oh my God, what a great, what a great, uh, like rallying cry, let's go, Brandon is, because you're not coming right out and saying, F- Fuck Joe Biden, but everybody knows what you're saying. They're very proud of it, They're very proud of it. You know, they think it's clever. It is kind of clever. I mean, I got to give him credit. It's kind of clever, you know. Where lefties are playing,
3: Why didn't we think of that? Uh, but it's not that clever. No, I mean, they just came out and said it when Trump was president. Yeah, fuck Trump. <laughs> there was no, like, you know, hidden message there.
2: Wait, for 10 trivia points, let's see if you can do this. Let's see if his memory has been decayed by years of marijuana smoking. For 10 trivia points, what Academy Award-winning actor said, and I quote, fuck Trump?
3: Oh, it's Ice Cube, of course. <laughs> Ooh. Ice Cube! Who'd
2: Ice Cube! Uh, first of all, I don't think Ice Cube ever won an Oscar, and second of all, it was an Ice Cube. Robert, DeMio. it was very good. Monroe Anderson has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Monroe Anderson has joined us. But before I do, I'll just finish my thought about Brett Stevens, he's a columnist for the New York Times. Monroe, I don't know if you saw him today. Classic Brett Stevens column. And if I, I began this Monroe by saying I make a point. I read the the middle of the road columnists. I read the MAGA columnists. I read your old friend Johnny Cass. Well, not anymore. He's not in the Tribune anymore. Uh, I read the the conservatives columnists. You yeah, know, maybe they'll open mind. Uh, you know, maybe they'll change my mind. They haven't yet.
0: It's not a murder but, uh,
2: but this gentleman, Brett Stevens, he, he wrote one of his favorite columns, Monroe, way. urging Democrats to be more like Republicans uh, in order to convince people like him to feel good about voting Democrat. And I just every time I read that, I just shake my head. They will never give up. This is that group of Republicans who are offended by Donald Trump and offended by MAGA. They want to think they're above and better than MAGA. You guys really not above and better than MAGA. Right. I'm just say it's like degrees, you know what I'm saying? Right. And, and, they're, and they're still Republicans. That's what you have to keep in mind. They yes. are Republicans. Yes. And that's their problem. That's their problem. So they want everybody to be like them. Right. So, you know, it's like, I, it, it's so condescending. It's like, ugh, you're not enough like me. I, I, I can't believe I have breaking news for you. Yes, I think I know what the breaking news. It's from Georgia. Go ahead. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Well, that uh, yeah. Let's just start right there, uh, Monroe. I saw that right before we went on, and what he's saying is guilty, guilty, guilty. And uh, the trial having to do with the murder of Ahmad Arbery, uh, the McMichael father-son, uh, Gregory and Travis, Travis being the shooter, uh, and the neighbor William Bryan, who filmed uh, the murder of Ahmad Arbery, have been found guilty by a jury uh, in Georgia. And I'll tell you what, Monroe, uh, it's like it's a whirlwind. And yesterday, folks, I had Jimmy Coogan on the show, uh, outstanding uh, trial attorney, and I was very dispassionate in that uh, conversation because I really wanted to focus on what the issues, the legal issues, uh, Monroe, just take my political passions away, take my outrage away on the Rittenhouse verdict and go through it point by point uh, with Jim Coogan. And I thought I did a pretty good job out uh, at it. This show, I'm not going to be so dispassionate, <laughs> Let's, I'm just going to be speak from my heart. So we have a uh, acquittal in Wisconsin and a guilty verdict that just broke in Georgia. And so my friends of the middle of the road persuasion, and there are, I have a few of those Monroe will tell me then this shows that our jurys, jury system uh, in the United States works. This shows that our criminal justice system in the United States uh, is fair. Uh, this shows that we have the best legal system in the world. So don't complain, and uh, God bless our criminal justice system. I can almost see the columns that my friends of the middle-of-the-road persuasion will be writing uh, in the ne- in the coming days. So is that how you see it, Monroe Anderson? Uh, Do you see this? (laughs) No,
1: no, one. Go. If that idiot, uh, Brian, I think it was his name, hadn't uh, filmed the thing on his phone, then none of this would have happened. And it only happened even filmed months after the murder because of civil rights activists and 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 publicity to where they said, "Oh,, well, I guess we can't really get away with this." They had to move the trial. It didn't happen where the murder happened because the good old boy system would have kicked in and 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 they wouldn't have gotten off that. Point two, the prosecutor was incredibly good. I mean, she did a master uh, piece when he when got to just um, doing the prosecution. And she she brought it down home. She was wise enough not to make it a racial issue. Because if she made it a racial issue, then the white folks who um, are critical of, of, of critical thinking, <laughs> critical race theory, <laughs> would have said, uh, they're trying to make me and my people me and my children feel bad, so i 'm going to let them off so she kept- race out of it until the very end, and then she didn't make it a real racial issue. what she did very subtly was say, well, the black man <laughs> and, and the the white man you know but she didn't she didn't say race race wasn't mentioned like, to my knowledge once i didn't hear it yeah and um The third thing is, these guys. This was cold-blooded murder. It it was they they hunted him down, and and their defense about um, citizens' arrest goes back to uh, slavery days, when in Georgia, they hunted. They they, citizens could arrest a runaway slave. That that law has has been. Repealed of late, but because the murder happened before it was repealed, they were tried under that terminology.
2: So that, that uh, was quite a recitation uh, on your part. I uh, I'll just uh, play it back when, to my uh, friends of the middle of the road persuasion who are going to proclaim this uh, as a great moment uh, in the American uh, criminal justice system. I uh, the the gentleman William Bryan who filmed it. Very bizarre, uh, I guess you would, might call this a white privilege, uh, Monroe. Yeah. Right. But just from the get-go, the notion by the defendants, uh, the McMichaels and Brian, that somehow or other they were in the right, I don't think it ever crossed their mind that they would be punished for what they did. And for a long time, as you pointed out, they weren't punished for what they did, and they probably would never have been punished for what they did if, just like with uh, George Floyd's murder in Minnesota, if it wasn't on video. Right. Just like Laquan McDonald's murder here in Chicago, if it wasn't on video. Right. Uh, and... But the dude filmed it. I, I You're right. I did, Every now and then I think about that. And he filmed it, and it didn't seem to like cross their minds that what they did you know, was
1: right like, before the movie, the Hunter games or something. Where, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they, if, if you got to go hunt somebody and shoot them down anyway, that's this, this is what it was like. They were just on a hunting trip. Yeah. And they were just, oh, okay, well we're, we're, we're going vide- to videotape this. What's really interesting is that even in the closing, the, the prosecutor hadn't used the fact that um, Travis, after he killed Aubrey, Ar- um, used nigger. So you know it was it, it was obviously a racist racist thing.
2: Uh, and so what about the attempt by the Kevin Gow? I think it's name or Guff. I'm not pronouncing it correctly. The uh, lawyer for Brian, I believe it was uh, the who I actually is not from originally from Georgia. Right. I read about him, uh, he, but he's adapted a sort sure of a Georgian draw for the yeah. jury. Right. I guess it's helpful. Uh, I want to say he's from New Jersey, but don't quote me. He's he's not from the South. He's from the North. Uh, and his attempt to. uh I don't know what his attempt was. Talking about the black pastors in the uh, in the courthouse.
1: Well, uh, that was the other thing. Uh, these guys were not but good lawyers. Rittenhouse had the creme de la creme of lawyers, <laughs> the, best money, the best lawyers money could buy. These, these guys were uh, Section Eight lawyers. <laughs> 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 because, I mean, well, he complained, that, and they did overt racist things, you know. They complained about the black pastors, and they didn't want the black pastors in. The um, the, the blonde, I don't know her name, woman, she talked about um, yesterday, or day before, yesterday, I think it was, she talked about uh, Aubrey's um, long toenails and dirty feet. mm mm-hmm. You know I mean which, which had nothing to do with the murder whatsoever whether he had been to a, a pedicure or something, you know um, and I, I watched the defense of Brian, his defense mm-hmm. of Brian and this was the most amazing thing then. His defense was this guy is stupid. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> he, 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 it's only because he's so stupid that if he filmed it, and he, he had no intention. He didn't know they were going to have guns. He didn't know they were going to kill him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but that's, uh, my client is too stupid to, to be found guilty. It was a, a novel defense. Well,
2: it is a novel defense, and it may have worked. Uh, and I, I think he got off of one of the charges. He I,
1: got I, off of three of them.
2: Three of them. Okay, so yeah. it may have worked to a certain yeah. degree. Well, uh,
1: yeah. It, the only it, it, one who got all the accounts was Travis.
2: Yeah, who did the shooting.
1: Yeah, because murder with malice, too. Yeah. He finally didn't get murdered with malice, but he got all the other charges.
2: No, I was, um, you know, uh, Monroe, I remember this uh, A gentleman telling me the story. um years ago when I first moved to Chicago and I was first coming face to face with race relations, uh, in the city of Chicago. And it was a very shocking and sobering, uh, series of revelations, uh, that I still haven't gotten over here. And, um, I remember a, uh, a man telling me, uh, that, um, in the old days when it was segregation, uh, if, uh, you saw a black guy coming into your neighborhood you know, you figured, well, you know, something is wrong here. Yeah. And I better, uh, I, I better alert the authorities. But now with uh, the desegregation, which in Chicago is really not decent, with the massive white flight that had occurred in a lot of these Southwest side neighborhoods, you see black people in the neighborhood all the time. So you never know, like, is that guy up to no good? Is that guy ju- you
1: know, just... The, uh, the, the other thing is back during the hardcore yeah. segregation days, they had sunset towns. They had sunset towns in Illinois. Also, you know what a sunset town
2: is. Yeah, oh, yeah, get out of it yeah. before sunset. Yes.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. They, uh, my father, when I was a kid, he used to tell me about uh, another side that they had. that said, uh, if, you, if you read this, run. And if you it can't r- rerun run anyway. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get into the politics of the Rittenhouse case uh, a little while. I, I see it as a political trial. I told Monroe that. I said that to uh, Jim Coogan yesterday when we were talking about it dispassionately. I believe it was a political trial. Uh, and um, Monroe said something to me before we went on the air that I may have said on the air, but when you said it, Monroe, boom, the light went on. And what you said is so freaking true. And uh, so it's so good what you said that I'm going to have to steal and just pretend I came up with it. Uh, But you said that the Rittenhouse trial was the white OJ trial. Nice. And
1: actually, Kyle Rittenhouse was the white OJ.
2: Yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse was the white OJ. That's it. I even right. got the quote wrong, <laughs> but now I got it right. Yeah, right. And paraphrased. Uh, so true. And I bounced it off of Levante. Uh, Stewart is going to be our next guest. I said, Look, get ready to talk about this. I said, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, the white OJ. And he went off. He was like, Oh my God. He went off on it. Uh, so I know what you mean by it, but why don't you explain what you mean by Kyle Rittenhouse is the white OJ. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, for those who don't know this, OJ did it. (laughs) And for those who don't know this, Kyle Rittenhouse did it. Both of them got away with murder. Um, And they got over partially why they got away from with murder is because they had the best lawyers money could buy in both cases. Um, Rittenhouse's lawyers, for example, um, gave him two mock, gave, gave the the actual trial with a, a jury, a fake jury, two mock trials, one with Rittenhouse as a witness, one without and his performance with their schooling um made them decide they were going to put him on the stand uh, to show that he was scared to death that that um, those people who he went to, he, he came from out of town, across state lines slinging a, a long rifle, a semi-automatic long rifle, walked into a heated area and um, after they were provoked, he shot them and killed them a couple of them and blew one guy's uh, bicep down um but his testimony was that he was afraid. And, he, and, and they and they turned him into a schoolboy. Uh, almost um and they cleaned him up the whole whole thing with OJ. OJ was a celebrity. And um, you know, he had he had done the a- was that Avis commercials where so he was running through the airport and j- jumping over the stylus. That was Avis, wasn't it?
2: Was it Avis or Hertz? I can't remember. Yeah, I just I, remember him yeah. in the airport. Right. It was a, a used yeah. rental car company. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Right. But rental anyway, he was using his football skills. You know, so he was, he, he was a celebrity. And they used his celebrity and his love of white people to, to get him off. And, yeah. and they had Johnny Cochran, who was a brilliant lawyer, defense attorney. So it's the same thing. Both got away with murder. It was um, O.J.'s wasn't v- taped video. We didn't see O.J. on the scene. Uh, although you told me about a black woman who uh, couldn't admit that he killed her, but he, he she she said, well, he was there, but he didn't kill her.
2: Oh, not that's why. Okay. okay. So we really should probably hold off till Levante comes on to go into this one. But uh, yes, and and, (laughs) I mean, it's funny in retrospect. First of all, it's not funny because two people died. Right. Uh, And um, but and I mean, the the extremes. To which so many black people went to deny that O.J. did something that we all know he did. Was almost comical, and yeah. Mun- Monroe—they probably wouldn't do it to you because you're black. Yeah, but they did it to me because I'm white. They did, and like- <laughs> they did not want to admit to me, a white person, that OJ did it.
1: Oh, well, I, I, I don't recall any black people who uh, admitting to me that o- OJ did
2: it. All right. So they at, okay. at yeah. the
1: time when when the verdict came down. Um. I was in the conference room at WBBM-TV. I was having a meeting with some people. And I got a call afterwards from Indigo. They were doing a story on the verdict. So they wanted to know my opinion. And I said, he got away with murder. And there was a gasp on the other side <laughs> from the reporter. See? <laughs> he said, you know, he did what? You said yeah. what? You know? Uh,
2: by the way, Dennis, let's lose out to Levante Stewart. He's just texted me. He's dying to come in on the conversation. And uh, <laughs> Levante Stewart, political activist from the south side of Chicago, uh, he used to work for Michael Frerich's Cook County Treasurer. Now he runs a uh, uh, his own foundation. He's got a lot of us uh, to say about politics. Uh, but OJ, uh, uh, in regards to O.J. Monroe, uh, so I have a friend, a very dear friend. I'm not going to name names. Uh, and uh, she has been insisting f- since the 90s that uh, O.J. was innocent.
1: Yeah.
2: And so let's call her Sally Sue. I don't right. want to give her name away. So I go, come on, Sally Sue. Come on. <laughs> Let it go. You know, OJ did it. Right. And Sally Sue, no, no. And then I would hear like about how racist the criminal justice is. Yeah, okay. it's It's racist. Okay. Right. Mark Furman, remember him? Right. Mark Furman's a racist. Yeah, he's a racist. Everything you're saying is true. Right. But OJ did it. You oh, know it.
1: I, I I got one I can one up you
2: off with this. Okay, one. go ahead. My <laughs>
1: sister-in-law. Yeah. Is from Philadelphia.
2: Uh huh. Knew
1: Bill Cosby from high school. Yeah. And Cosby didn't do these rapes. Uh, th- <laughs> that's <laughs> another one. <laughs> and.
2: You know, Levante Stewart has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Levante Stewart has joined us. Uh always love when my guests show up. Uh and Levante, I'm just going on. We're talking about uh Kyle Rittenhouse and OJ Simpson. Uh we you and I had a little conversation about this before we went on air. So yeah, Monroe. So I understand it. I truly understand it. And uh, the reason that lady gasped when you told that story yeah. uh, i presume she, she was a black woman correct yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. because you openly said what so many black people would not say openly in 1990 what was it seven or whatever that was that yeah. oj did it right. so i'd be having a conversation like so go back to my friend sally sue who's not a real name but i'm don't worry, friend. I'm concealing you because you you don't want to be embarrassed. So I said, come on, Sally Sue. You know he did it. No. Mark Furman's a racist. Okay, I know he's a racist, but you know yeah. OJ did it. Two things could be true at the same time. Yeah, he could be a racist. And, and, and he, he does do it. Nope. Not do- anyway, big breakthrough. Uh, Monroe Levante was about a year ago. Sally Sue goes, I was had somehow other subject came up and she's like, "Okay, I will concede this. He, he he didn't do it, but he was there the night it happened." I'm like, "Oh my god. You are stubborn. Thank God I'm not married to you. Good Lord."
1: Well, you know, and, and, and she's probably right. Somebody else did it. OJ is going to find them. Yeah, right.
2: OJ's <laughs> looking he, for
1: him. He, he, He's looking for the killer now. And he saw him just like uh, in, in in The Fugitive with the one-armed man. OJ saw him. Yeah, OJ
2: saw him, right? It's,
1: it's elusive. <laughs>
2: but what, uh, but you're, the other point you make is really uh, on target, uh, Monroe, is that um, so in the case of OJ had brilliant lawyers. Right. And they put the entire law enforcement uh, system of Los Angeles on trial. Right. And that jury convicted the law enforcement uh, authorities of racism. Right. Uh, With the Kyle Rittenhouse lawyers, they put the people who were the victims, weren't even allowed to call them victims.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. They uh, put
2: them on trial, the looters.
1: Instead of the walking dead, they were the dead dead. Yeah. and uh, yeah, exactly. And they put them the looters and the rioters. That's 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 what they were allowed to call them, and although there was no evidence that they were were looting or rioting, yeah.
2: they put them on trial. And right. and the attitude uh, was, yeah, they are looters, and kind of like they deserved it. So. We're going to let him go. Uh, we're going to bring Levante Stewart in. Uh, Levante, welcome back to the show. And um, that's the great Monroe Anderson up there in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, so, Levante, you you heard, you heard already had a little conversation with me uh, before the show. You just heard us uh, going on here. Do you see a similarities? Do you see parallels? Uh, uh, OJ's quote is, uh, excuse me, uh, Monroe's quote is that Kyle Rittenhouse is the white OJ. Which is a great quote Uh, Do you see it that way? Go ahead
4: Well, first, good afternoon, Ben As usual, great to see you Uh, Mr. Anderson, pleasure is mine, sir The same And and you know what? I'm 46 years old I'm just a little bit younger than uh, Mr. Anderson there But I was old enough to remember the OJ trial And I absolutely agree with Mr. Anderson That these are these cases somewhat parallel each other in the sense of what it meant to our citizenry based on race, and yeah, this is the opposite version. This is the bizarro version of the o j case what it did for black people is what this is doing for a certain demographic of white people the major uh, I absolutely agree with that, right, and uh for the record. Even then, I absolutely believed O.J. was true. Uh, <laughs> okay, so now here's the tough follow-up question.
2: Would you say that to a white person I have, in 1997 or whatever? Go well, ahead.
4: you know what? Depending on who that white person was, if it's my brother-in-law, I'd say it. Uh, if it's somebody I don't know that well, I'm sticking with O.J. is innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the reason why you know it's funny we laugh about it but the seriousness of it for me as a Gen X Black American is we are a generation by the judicial system just like previous generations of African American African Americans specifically men and for me it, it court is triggering going all the way back to Dred Scott it's like you know, our chances of winning at court, how we talk about two Americas or two Chicago's. Same thing applies with the court system. I talk to the young people in the nonprofit that I run and work with. And so when oftentimes when they talk about it and they you know they call me coach and they say, Well coach, you know, this is a broken system, I said, No, it's not broken. It's working perfectly. It's working the way it was designed and intended exactly. to work. And right. that was intended to work in our favor. But the good news is I still believe in the Constitution and I still believe that it is a living document and I believe that it properly, when utilized correctly, props up those courts and we do have an opportunity to address those courts and put them in a place where uh, you know, they are equal for all citizens, right? When Lady Justice, she to take blindfold off. Justice doesn't need to be blind. Justice needs to see what is actually happening right in front of it.
1: And and apply a little common sense to it.
4: There
2: we go. All right, to that point. In uh,
1: in fact, if I ever get stopped by the cops or anything, first thing I'm going to say to them is, treat me like a white man. (laughs) That's all I ask. (laughs) Whatever I did or didn't do, just treat me like a white man. We're cool. (laughs)
2: Uh, that'd be interesting to see what happens. If uh, <laughs> make sure you have your camera on when you say that, Monroe. <laughs> it can be a, a very interesting response uh, that you get. Uh, treat me like a white man. Yeah, exactly. uh, I'm old. I've lived a
1: good life. So, yeah.
2: yeah uh, well, you gotta uh, you, you be careful what you wish for because they may treat you like the two white men that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse killed. So it, not all white men are treated the same, uh, as we just discovered. Uh, Levante, we'll get into your, uh, your personal story in a little bit, because you said something before we went on the air and I took notes. I want to bring it back. Uh, but uh, Monroe and I, before we got to Kyle Rittenhouse, talked about uh, the convictions uh, in the McMichaels trial for killing Ahmaud Arbery, which just broke about five minutes before we went on the air. Uh, and so I was asking Monroe for his thoughts uh, on that and whether that's sh- sort of like a vindication of our criminal justice system uh, or a step forward or progress. Uh, how do you view uh, what went down in Georgia today with the jury finding the three men guilty of killing Ahmaud Arbery? Go ahead. Yeah,
4: Ben, right before I jumped online, thanks, Dennis for the link, um, right before I had just, okay, I just saw, I just yeah, right saw there. the, um, the verdict come down and mm-hmm. I'm watching McMichael stand there um, as he's, you know, being read this verdict. And yeah, I absolutely believe instance like this, give us hope again that the system, you know, we can rectify what's happening. So here, I think what we saw is the desired outcome a fair and just outcome uh, the way that the Ahmaud Arbery case, Played out. I mean, if those guys walked out that courtroom today, that was going to be a serious travesty of justice. I mean, the world saw that. We saw, you know, we had all the, we were armed with all of the information that we needed to know um, to understand that these men were blatantly guilty of murder. Um, and sometimes it is confusing. You look at these cases and you're armed with enough evidence. And I know, you know, we're not lawyers. Right. We're not trained in that. We're not necessarily educated in that. Like Mr. Mr. Anderson alluded to some stuff, though, even under the law is just common sense. And, you know, that is the hill I'm going to die on. And and I'll say that even about the Rittenhouse case. This was not as complex of a case as people wanted to make it out to be we saw the video we had all type of witness testimony of what occurred and here's my short take on it one this kid should not have been allowed or had no business being there in the first place in a volatile situation like that nobody called up a militia no one asked an armed teenager to cross state lines to go to a situation that was already volatile that you knew would probably result in violence. This kid wanted some action. We often say about our young black youth that turn to the street and that are involved in different activities in the street, they want action. And that's why they get into that. And then our children are dealt with so harshly because they make these decisions. But this child is lauded as a hero for going down here and doing what he knew he was going to do. I'm not a mind reader. There's no proof of that. But come on common sense. We all knew this boy wanted to go shoot somebody. He yeah. was itching to pull that trigger, and he was given an opportunity to do so. And, you know, would it have made it any different had his victims been black? No. I, I, I hurt for those family, those those men that were taken in that instance. And I, I pain for them even more because they weren't even black, but they were there to support a black cause. Right. And so, see, I understand the history of this country, and I understand and a lot of people don't, and I love to have that conversation, that I, I laud white folks that get in the fight with black folks or Latinos for social justice reasons because there is a sacrifice. A lot of times people don't think that there's a sacrifice to our white compatriots, but there is, because they can be shunned. I understand what it meant in the 50s or the 60s if you sided with a black person or you called a black woman miss. You know, they could be shunned in their social circles. They. Right. Or could killed. be, all types of stuff could happen to them. So it, ta- it takes courage for our white brothers and sisters to, to stand with us. And even in these more modern times, you know, there still can be uh, kind of fallout um, for white folk when they support a, a black cause or a Latino cause. So, you know, I, I really feel for those victims because they didn't have to be there, but their hearts were in the right place. And they knew that they were going to fight for the right thing, which all of this is about equality
2: uh yeah that's uh really a good riff uh levante well put and i'll go one step further I'll throw this at you monroe uh and then levante get your thoughts uh, Darlene darling glanton wrote a column to this point uh levante she uh usually used, used to write for the tribune and she uh she freelanced for the Sun-Times. It came out on uh, Sunday, I want to say. It was a brilliant column in My Humble Opinion, Monroe. I don't know if you got a chance to read it. But her, she made, had several points uh, in that column. And, 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 and really, uh, piggybacking on what Levante said, uh, she made the point that there was th- this was a message that was sent to white people. If you think you could just freely join black political cause like this, uh-uh, a price will be paid. A price will be paid. And in fact, she went so far as to say, and this is an interesting point that I hadn't thought of, Monroe, and get your reaction, uh, that the jury felt free in a certain degree uh, to come back with an acquittal for uh, Kyle Rittenhouse precisely because the uh, people killed the victims. I'm allowed to use the word if uh, even if the judge won't let the lawyer use it, the victims were white. So then you can't say, well, it's a, a racial thing. Right, you got be They're freed of that consequence. Well it was just white people killed.
1: Well, you, you can. We we have to go back a little bit further than that. The deck was stacked. The judge was. He was treating Rittenhouse like it was his grandson. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's
4: like, um, I was waiting on him to pull him some snacks out the drawer uh, yeah, Mr. Edison. I was going to give him some fruit snacks or
1: right. or something. Well, well well, when he went through his, his fake crying uh, session uh, I was waiting on the judge to come down and give him a hug Yeah right <laughs> It's okay son you'll be alright
4: Yeah that, that, that was uh, the most egregious uh, display I've ever Ever, ever seen in my life. I've never seen such cozy interactions between the accused and and the judge that's yeah. overseeing it. Um, so
2: so Levante, what do you think about the link land's observation that uh the fact that the, the victims were white sort of freed the jury to a certain degree, you know, uh, that yeah, they didn't I, have to worry about the racial uh, overtones. Go ahead.
4: Absolutely. I believe that's spot on because, you know, as usual, talking to a lot of my friends that are white, and, and just hearing what some of their family and friends that are white were thinking. Of course, this country was getting, you know, uh, well, there was a little, a little tension, a little apprehension. But had those victims been black, yes, absolutely, this country would have been sitting on pins and needles, because in their thinking, it would have been, oh, if he walks and the victims are black, this country is going to burn. Uh, you know, because that's now the thought process of, of, of black people. Um, And we know what Dr. King said about this, about why riots and things like this happen anyway, right? These, you know, this is the voice of the people that are unheard. So when you're not addressing the grievances and the issues that people are going through, eventually this is what happens. Mm. You know, people have to take it to another level to get your attention. So that's just to explain, you know, how some of that stuff has come along, um, you know, that's been branded real. Terrible, and and I don't identify or agree with looting. When those things were happening in the past, during the George George Floyd time, my community center got hit. But this country was great; they donated thirty five thousand dollars to us in forty eight hours to make repairs. Right. Um, but I went out and I talked to folks in the neighborhood when that stuff was going on. Young people in my program called them up and made sure they're not going outside and taking advantage of the situation, you know, to enrich themselves um, on the back of, of this issue right because that's not what it's about it's not about going out and you know breaking into shops and getting free stuff but that you know we need to talk about it right is it that young people or, or people of color would just we're we're so horrible that you know that that was our intent we just go out to steal and damage property and this and that no if you really look behind it again again it connects back to a deeper issue a bunch of deeper issues guess what if we were in imp- the same way. If we were given the same opportunities to shop on the mag nobody would nobody be worried about going down there to break in the Gucci store because I could walk in the Gucci store and buy something out of my wallet. But if I'm not even given that opportunity, then yeah, that's where the brain might go when one of these situations occurs. But so, you know, it's just sad that our country, that we don't stop to kind of think about these things and just really Really have real conversations around this stuff. It's just all finger pointing in this kind. Con- it's just so horrible how we, you know, the blame game yeah. and how we, we stereotype one another.
2: Well, to that point, I uh, to underscore the notion that the Rittenhouse trial was a uh, political trial and that uh, it shows a deeply divided political country. Oh, they,
1: they both were, Ben. You can't. The the Aubrey trial was political.
2: How, how now? Okay, uh, I'll finish. I'll come. All right. My my ultimate point was that uh, Rittenhouse went and visited Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago and then uh, Donald Trump went on uh, Fox uh, with uh, Sean Hannity to to talk about what a great uh, citizen uh, uh, that uh, Rittenhouse is. But why and should never been prosecuted. Just think about that. Like he's the uh, uh, he is the victim. But why, Monroe, do you say the uh, the uh, Michael trial for killing Arbery is political?
1: Because it's 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 old it's old school politics. That's the only difference. Is Rittenhouse is, was a little more modern, but they have been lynching us and shooting us and, and hunting us down since um, eighteen seventy-two or something like that. Uh, once Reconstruction was brought to an end. And it was like, okay, now we got we to gotta get these niggas back in, in, in under control. And so they formed these night patrols, to, to, uh, which had which existed before for slaves, but now they were just using them to terrorize us. If we, if we were in the wrong part of town or if we didn't have um, papers, even though we didn't legally need them after the, the war was over. But th- this has been going on for generations. This is a new, but it just got this, this, the, the idiot <laughs> taped it. That's the difference. Because if it had not been taped, where they could not deny it happening, <clears throat> then it wouldn't even have been a trial. Excuse the me. police, for example, the police, when they came and, and, and saw the body, they didn't treat it like it was a real murder. They didn't confiscate the trucks, which, which if, it had been a, if it had been a reverse situation where three black men had, had killed some white kid jogging around, they, they well, it would have been, well, some of them may not live, have lived long enough to be tried. But, but anyway, the police did not even consider it a murder. That's, that's, that's the politics.
2: Uh, Levante, I'm coughing here. No, yes. your thoughts on what Monroe had to say?
4: No, I, I believe Mr. Anderson, of course, is spot on, and uh, I, I absolutely agree with him that that one was so in your face, egregious, uh, very throwbackish America. Pre, you know, civil rights and all of that stuff. Um, though, a lot of these things are triggering when, as Black Americans, uh, to be in you know this new millennium and to still see some of this stuff happening. You know, I'm a father of four. God forbid that one of my children would ever have to um, you know go through some of the the things that. that we're seeing play out still to this day. And so like with the Rittenhouse thing, you know, I was telling you for me personally, it was very, very triggering um, that this young man walked away. And here's why. Uh, I was just a couple of years older than Kyle Rittenhouse when I ran into like a similar situation. I was like 19 turning 20. I was in college in Missouri, uh, going to Missouri Valley College in Missouri. and started going there after attending Hampton University in in uh, Hampton, Virginia. And, uh, you know, playing football. Couldn't maintain my grades. So ended up moving around with my parents and ended up going to this school because they gave me a double uh, scholarship and an academic scholarship. So I went to play football and baseball there. Um, while there, you know, I, um, of course, I befriended the local black community. It was a small pocket of people, very small town, Marshall, Missouri. And so, you know, I'm young, man. I got my own place. I'm, I'm chilling. I'm a Chicago guy. And anyway, I had a situation where where a young lady, a black girl, came by. She came to my my place, and she was all, you know, distraught. She had gotten into a situation with some of the teenage boys and you know, in the community. And so, you know, they probably had been drinking and having fun, and they decided to make her a target. And so they were riding around in their pickup truck, and, you know, they were chasing her and throwing things at her and calling her all kind of niggers and all this other stuff. And so she came by, and, you know, she was just broken down crying. And telling me about it. And instantly, you know, I got very upset about it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go stand up for her. And so we, you know, I got in my car and I took my legally owned rifle that I purchased and registered from Walmart, which was completely legal given the age I was and all of that other stuff, properly registered. Um, And we proceeded to go to their home to talk, you know, wanted to talk to some people. Um, And I honestly did wanna go talk, right? Because I wanted to express. Uh, the outrage about this treatment. And as we get there and we're walking up, the father and the mother are walking out and the teens are all behind the parents. It was like they knew we were coming. It's a small town, so maybe the word got over there somehow really fast. And so as we're approaching, the dad already had his gun out. I didn't even have mine at the moment. Um, so initially went to talk. And, you know, he raises this firearm at me, tells me to get my nigga ass off his property. And at that point I really snapped. So I went home and, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm going to show him a nigga. And I went home, and I got my rifle, and I came back, and I just really wanted to scare him. You know, I'm Chicago. I'm thinking about how we live here. And so I ride past, and I shoot a couple of shots in the air, and uh, I eventually got 10 years out of that, and I did five. I didn't hit anybody. I didn't hit the house. I didn't hit anything. They made me out to be some notorious drive-by shooter from Chicago and— they were trying to give me 60 to life. They marched out 60 different witnesses. I had a deposition bigger than the the, the world encyclopedia collection, right? This discovery packet. I'm like, what the hell is in there? It, you know, what could really be in these documents? All I did was ride by in a few seconds, shoot a couple of shots, and, you know, you got 3,000 pages of documents on this. And But my point was, again, the comparison. He thought that he was doing someone... a service he thought that he was doing something that was positive uh for the country he thought he was going to stop some bad people and guess what ben that's what i thought i was going to do but i didn't shoot nobody and i still ended up with 10 years man so yeah i'm outraged like hell when i see a little guy like this walk away from killing two people being in a place he had no business to be in the first place uh by the
2: way just just to make clear when i hear that story um The man who uh, threatened you uh, with the rifle, was he black or white? White. He was white? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So do you think, now I know it's Monday morning quarterbacking here going on, (laughs) and it's after the fact, but do you think, and you've had plenty of time to think about it, do you think had he been a black man, would you have gotten the 10 years that you got in other words, if it had been a black-on-black black situation. We- absolutely not.
4: Had that been black family, the police probably would have never even been involved. And if they were called, they probably showed up, looked at all of us, and went on about their business. Y- y'all work it out. Shoot each other. Right, work out. it out, right. And they would have been absolutely left alone. But instead, it, it completely uprooted, disrupted my life. My mother had to put her home on the line and put another mortgage on just to get me a decent lawyer. And then you're talking about a jury of your own peers. I was the only thing black in the courtroom, yeah. man. It was another black person in a country mile from me in those courtrooms. And I had to continuously change venue because they were dogging my, my lawyer. They was dogging this guy. It was small town politics. So decisions had already been made. Stuff was being talked about right. probably at dinner tables. Right. You know, the, the prosecutor was probably at the judge's house playing, playing Parcheesi. Right. And they already figuring out what they're going to do to me. Yeah. Uh, so I could see the writing on the wall right. uh, so eventually I took a plea bargain because yeah they started out talking about 60 to life man what, what? 60 to life wow. I know gangbangers in Chicago who killed and done way more than this and they walked away with less time right? so it was like it, it was utterly shocking
1: yeah, yeah let, me, let me tell you this story it's, it's a little off, off the trail but uh, I think it's uh, interesting There was this woman when I was at the Tribune who was um, a a copy person. You know, she went and got the copy and took it from reporter to editor, etc. Yeah, they
2: used to call us copy boys. I had that job, and I was called a copy boy. Yeah, well, she was (laughs) a copy copy girl. girl. Okay, go ahead. And she was doing that job on work release.
1: Mm. She was in prison, I mean, well, she had been moved from prison to where she was in a home. But she, she, had, she could come do that job and then go back home to where she had to be confined, where she was confined. She had murdered her husband. and he, he was abusive. And so what she did one day was she killed him, shot, shot him in the back of the head and killed him. Uh, then she and her cousins... She's living in southern Illinois. This is southern, small-town southern Illinois, white girl. She, 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 they, they bury him. They kill him because he was a, he was, he worked for the railroad, so he was gone a lot anyway. So she buried him in a field. And. It was like weeks before the crops would have been up and they never would have found the body. But one of her accomplices got high and admitted to what they had done. So she was tried. She went on trial for killing her husband. Her defense was she accidentally killed him. She was cleaning the gun and accidentally
2: killed him. That was her defense?
1: That was her defense. (laughs) And she she freaked out because you know after he was the the cops came and the whole thing okay she had grown up on the farm next to the judge Mm. so he knew her as a little girl yeah but during the trial it came out that uh, she and uh, a bunch of other kids at the high school because she was literally the same age that uh, Rittenhouse was Mm. um. that they were screwing each other, they were having all this, you know, sex, you know. This, and so the judge sent her to prison because of the reports of the sex that she was promiscuous and everything. Wow. As a teacher, and she got a year, year and a half for. Her. Yeah. Okay. The point I'm making is that the, the the legal system for white people and for black people are not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. In any any
2: sense. No, and, and so going back to uh, the O.J. analogy, I understood, I did understand why there was uh, the that famous image of the black people, the black woman at the beauty parlor cheering when O.J. got off. I understood because that was like the first time a black guy had full advantages of what Monroe was just alluding to, of the system working for him from uh The right kind of lawyer to sympathetic a, ju- a- jury of peers, although they hardly were his peers uh Levante you know as well as i do o j was in a different class of people than the uh, uh ordinary black people in l a but so I understood that uh and and uh, i I got that it was still painful though that he walked for killing two people, but right. i understood that right um, so i when I see what happens uh in in kenosha i know i know that was a result of a system that how do i put this despised the people that got killed levante as much as those people in missouri despised you right you know and that was just those white radicals looters Whatever they were, deserve what they got. That's the attitude. That, to right. me, is the message that comes across. Just Absolutely. like the the message that came across to you was, you know, we're going to show you.
4: Right. Um, the message was, black boy, know your place. Um, Because I didn't know my place in that town. It, you know, I'd already been having different run-ins with the police. Because here I was, you know, I got down there 19 years old. I owned two Cadillacs with fancy rims and speakers in the trunk and you know I saved up my money while I was working in Oklahoma living with my parents in Tulsa and you know saved up my money and money I still had left from college and you know and hey that's what I chose to do with my money but you know I guess some of them was like man I don't even own a car it's nice what are you doing with this car this nice so right. exactly. I already had this this kind of toxic thing that was brewing with the police in that time because again I'm in small town America. I don't know the population might have And 30,000 in that town or something at the time, maybe. It was very small. So everybody knew everybody. Um, And so, you know, they would chase me sometimes and I'd give them a run and I'd make it to my house and jump out and run in. And, and they, you know, they couldn't come in. They don't have a warrant. They'd call me and say, Mr. Stewart, were you just driving and we chasing you? Nope, I don't know what you're talking about, officer. So I really was working their nerves. So when they finally got me for something, they were just probably so happy. They were like, yeah, we got them and you know they stuck it to me and it was funny because they didn't even fire me I went and turned myself in for this case I was going to get on the plane and, and come back to Chicago and send my family down to get the rest of my stuff and it was my grandmother that talked me into staying and facing the judicial system yeah, yeah. she told me just go go deal with it because you don't want to come back home and have warrants or whatever and you're running from stuff just go on and face it you didn't do much you you know it's going to be they're not going to do my nothing Nothing much to you, and I went in there with that confidence. I walked in one day, and I didn't walk out till five years later. Uh-huh.
1: And I'm like, "Wow." What was, what was her reaction to that? Did she did she feel guilty about it or what?
4: She she did to a small degree, but you know, I, I definitely told my grandmother not to to feel a certain way because it was inevitably it would have happened had I gotten back here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, I got extradited for I was more gonna say, and, yeah. and more mm-hmm. of a headache waiting in Chicago to be taken all the way transported back to Missouri to deal, you know, with the situation. So, you know,
2: it was what it was. So, Loante, before we uh, leave this story behind, you mentioned to me briefly before we went on the air that you recently went back to Missouri. I couldn't believe that. If it had been me, as the day I got out of prison, I would have never gone back to the state of the show-me state of Missouri. But you went back to Missouri recently. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, great story here, Ben. This is, I mean, you can't write this stuff, man. This this is definitely made for TV. It seemed like it fell right out of a TV story. Uh, and I'll give credit to John Hanson, Black Club Chicago. He's written up the story as well as Maxwell Evans, Black Club Chicago. And John has done a podcast on it so you all can find it. It's the story of a man finds his missing ring. So as I mentioned real quickly, uh, at Hampton University, I played football. We were a very good football team. We were one of the best football teams in black college football. Well, in 1994, we became the black national champions, the Sheridan black national champs. This has a long history. Uh, It was created a a long time ago to give black universities an equal opportunity to have a shot at a championship in football because we weren't allowed to do so in regular college football. Well, anyway, this was the pinnacle of of black collegiate sport. And so we won this championship and I got a ring out of it, right? And uh, and so you guys can see it. Let's see, there's the ring there. And so I got my championship. Yeah. So here I am. I'm young. I won this championship. I eventually go to school in Missouri. And when I get incarcerated, you know, the little friends that were so-called friends, of course, they went in my house and looted everything, took my cars, took all of my personal belongings and values before my family could get down from Chicago. And this was my prized possession that disappeared. This was the thing I was most proud of. So this ring has been out of my life for 26 years. Last summer, I planned a big trip for my organization to take our youth to Kansas City, Missouri to visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum with my very good friend, Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the museum. Now, yes, I was absolutely apprehensive because I swore to myself I'd never step another foot in that state. So leading up to that, I was getting really, really nervous, like, I don't want to go back to this place. Um, And then all of a sudden, a few days before we leave, my organization gets contacted Lo and behold, someone found this ring in a baseball field in Missouri, in the town where I got incarcerated. So, you know, for me, that was, I don't even have the right word for it. I'll definitely tell you I'm a man of faith. And so for me, it was my creator bringing my whole life full circle and telling me basically, you know, what I've done with my life is the right thing. That this was kind of, and it gave me closure to that whole issue that really threw my life off track, right? And trying to get back on track was the hardest thing ever to be an educated black man, but only judged because I'm an ex-offender. I got, you know, lumped together with all this other stuff. So life has always been a struggle for me, no matter how, you know, intelligent I was, how accomplished I was. Only thing people still saw was that I was a criminal. I was an ex-offender. So this thing came back and brought life full circle, man. So I was able to reclaim the ring from a citizen, a resident of that town, and I was able to go back to that town, go through that town, meet the guy, get my ring back, and just go through the town. It was kind of a nostalgic moment. I hadn't been there in 26 years. Hmm. Some things changed, some things didn't. Um, So, yeah. Uh,
2: And uh, so when you left the town, did you have a sense – of, well, now that I can go back to this town, I'm free, or when you left the town finally again with your ring, go, well, thank God I'll never have to go back here again. I got my ring. Which one was it, Levante?
4: Nah, man, I felt so empowered, Ben. Um, I felt like, biblically, like Joseph, after his brothers threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery, man, you know, and, and to look at what he turned out to be later was, you know, awesome. And so I aligned my story with that story. And so I felt very empowered. In fact, I was glad to step back in that town and I hope that they read the story, the residents, especially the people who were involved with this 26 years ago, uh, so that they could see who I became to see what they did to me and to let them know that you didn't destroy me. You just made me stronger and better. You didn't know it, but you did.
1: Right.
4: Um, there's and unfortunately, that's what black Americans, that is, the, that is our narrative for far too long. And it shouldn't have to be. Why should we have to be more resilient than any other American? We've always got to be more resilient. We've always got to take the brunt of something and then bounce back or, you know, we've got to work twice as hard or, you know. And so to me, that's what all of this stuff signals. Right. Is that it's just a shame that we're still in this place. And I'll tell you the most alarming thing before we completely get off the Rittenhouse case, looking across Twitter and looking at the varying reactions of different demographic groups and people that were online, there was this one place in, I believe it was, it may have been in Missouri or it may have been somewhere here, wherever it was, I was like, note to self, don't go there. So it was like a sports bar or something, right? Uh, Doesn't look like it was a black person in there. And the minute they announced that guy not guilty, you would have thought the Bulls won a seventh championship. The way people started screaming, hands went up. There was all of this celebration. And in my head, I'm just like, what is the celebration? What is the celebration? And sadly enough, I just felt that, you know, it was horrible what they were celebrating. It was the fact that they were celebrating that white privilege allows you to do certain things with no consequence and that really cemented it for many of them in their head. And so I am hopefully, hopefully this does not signal to a bunch of group of people that they can commit certain egregious acts and, and, and you know, and just get away with it. But sadly, I think it
2: has. Well, all right, I, what I, I address this, uh, Monroe. I get your thoughts on this one. The po- the political fallout of the Rittenhouse verdict. Uh, it's it it goes beyond what Le- I mean. What Levante just pointed out, like a, the the reaction in a bar filled with white people. Uh, to uh, the demands that Republicans are making now that Joe Biden apologize to Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't know if you've seen this, Monroe, but yeah. uh, it's now becoming a crescendo uh, in Republican circles. MAG is demanding you because uh, about a year ago during the campaign, Joe Biden had a TV commercial <laughs> denouncing Trump because Trump had never taken a stand against white supremacists and the Nazis, who, by the way, just in Charlottesville, they lost that trial. That is a great triumph, in my humble opinion. Yes. And, uh, uh, and, and so Biden said Trump uh, sh- should be ashamed of himself, basically, for not denouncing white supremacism. And it, in a montage of images that sort of s- supported this theme, there was an, a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse with his rifle. And uh, so uh, MAGA right now and elected officials from the MAGA party are saying Joe Biden owes Kyle Rittenhouse an apology, which is so, in my humble opinion, Monroe Anderson, so twisted. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this man killed two people. You right. know, everybody owes him an apology. Right. He literally killed two people. Yeah, it's not. they already gave him a
1: congratulations for beating the tr- beating the rap. So yeah. he's already got his reward.
2: So there is a political fallout to this, don't you agree, Monroe Anderson?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's political, and there will be other shootings now because there will be some some more teenagers who feel they too have the right to. I mean, this guy he wasn't even defending his city; he was defending another town in another state. So, if if you got a problem going on in your town, then now you can grab your daddy's gun. And go out there and uh help the police out
4: aching aching to the old lynch mobs that you referred right, to Yeah, mr anderson
1: right right
4: and it's really scary living in illinois because you know it's no secret that this state probably has the most or had the most sundown towns in the union yeah we had over a hundred and i believe last time i researched it it was like over 120 sundown towns in state of Illinois or something. So that just signals to you what people thought and where their minds and hearts were. And it's it's just, it's sickening, right? You really think about it. Because, yeah, it's like people have forgotten about these victims. The two that he killed and the one that he injured. You know, just no mourning for those people. No, they were demonized for just being there to support a social cause. And to the MAGA group, the the uh, the real target was, you know, to them, Black Lives Matters, which translated into looters and vagrants and thieves and criminals, because yeah. that's how they've now lumped it all together. That's 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 what's on the right side of the equal sign. Right. If you're black, plus you're mad, then you equal this.
2: Uh, by the way, speaking of Black Lives Matter, uh, I don't know, if in, uh, Kyle Rettenhouse when he was being interviewed uh, by uh, Tucker Carlson, said uh, he supports Black Lives Matter when he said that. <laughs> like, <laughs> this world is utterly insane. Oh, Lord. Um, so, all right, we're going to close by uh, switching things to a different uh, subject. and would love to hear Levante's thoughts on this and Monroe's uh, thoughts as well. Uh, political redistricting is going on and uh one of the redistricting debates is happening here in Chicago uh, having to do with redividing the the cities uh it, the city of Chicago into 50 wards every uh, 10 years uh, there's a census and uh They have to redistrict legislative uh, boundaries to make sure that more or less the same number of people live in each district. So it happens on the state level with legislative seats and state Senate seats. It happens on the congressional level with congressional seats. Uh, It happens with judicial districts judicial seats and it also happens in the city of Chicago with the city council. 50 wards will be redistricted Uh, and there's a political battle going on between the Hispanic uh, Caucus and the Black Caucus over how many majority black and how many majority Hispanic districts there should be. Uh, And uh, the Black Caucus, which is led by Alderman uh, Jason Irvin of the 28th Ward is insisting, I forget on how many number of uh, black seats, and uh, the Hispanic caucus uh, is insisting on a certain other number of seats, and they're right now going at each other. And, Levante, I said this to you already. I haven't said this to Monroe yet. But as an old guy who's been watching politics in Chicago uh, since 1981, on a regular and a steady basis, Levante, okay, I have studied this stuff. And I have watched black aldermen and Hispanic aldermen vote whichever way the mayor wants them to vote. Uh, right. Even if it means depriving their neighborhoods of economic development dollars uh, that are supposed to go to their neighborhoods and, se- and instead go to upscale uh, Northside neighborhoods, I've watched this Levante for thirty freaking years, with starting after Harold died uh, and uh, going with the Dailies and Rahm Emanuel yeah, they and they didn't do that in Yeah. Okay. I always have to exempt. See, Levante, you may not know this, but Monroe Anderson was uh, Mayor Sawyer's press secretary. Always got to be nice to uh, Eugene Sawyer. But my point is, Monroe and Levante, what point? What's the point of having a black or Hispanic alderman if he or she is just going to vote? the way the mayor wants them to vote, and it actually deprives black or Hispanic communities of dollars that they are warranted. Please explain to me what is the point of that? Well,
1: you know, the the, the difference is that earlier, when Harold was elected mayor, for example, there were very few. Um, I, uh, mayor Hatcher and Gary in 1968 uh, was the first black mayor, elected mayor of a, of a, which was considered a major city back then. You know, he and um, Carl from Stokes. Stokes, Carl yeah, Stokes. Stokes. Stokes from Cleveland. Um, so to have, when Harold got elected and the way Harold handled himself in office, he set a bar. For black mayors, they they told, first of all, blacks, they could become mayor of cities and also that um, they didn't have to do it as it was done. Mm -hmm. So a lot of black mayors aren't bad. You know, there are some, of course, but a lot of them are trying to do something for their people. And you don't have to have one anymore because they're so common now that it's not a big deal who's the mayor and that's
2: yeah i uh i agree with both of you on those points uh and levante i'm glad you said it the way you said it because it's particularly the case here in the city of chicago i don't know where we're where we are evolving as a city levante uh i don't know where the demographics trends are going to take us Uh, i do know i've watched Over the last 10 years, as Monroe, you have, and Levante, you have, the population, the black population of Chicago, falling significantly. And I believe that is the um, direct results of planning decisions and economic development dollar decisions that the city of Chicago has been making for the last 20, 30 years. And most of those decisions were supported by black elected officials. Right. And uh so here we are. Now uh, Mayor La- Lori Lightfoot says she wants to reverse that. She wants more black people back in Chicago. She says that from time to time. I don't recall any mayor uh Monroe and Levante complaining about the falling black population while it was falling. You get what I'm saying? It was yeah. viewed, in my humble opinion, it was viewed as a triumph. No one would come out and say it, Monroe. No one right. would say, "Oh, what great news! Black people are moving out of Chicago." Right. But I never heard any black, right. many white mayor complain about it. Go ahead, Monroe.
1: Yeah, but that's that's Chicago, and, and we know the racial history and and the racial currency of Chicago. But you have, a, there's been a black mayor, for example. And there aren't that many black people there enough, you know. So it's, it's, things have changed, uh, but um, not so much in Chicago.
2: Yeah. By the way, things have changed across the country. I have to say that. Yeah. And and Levante, they have. Ch- I look at Detroit, for instance, it proves your point. There's a white mayor in Detroit and I think black led, uh, residents voted for that guy. Levante because they thought he was going to do better for their city for one reason or another. So I do believe that uh, we're a better position than we were in to a certain degree. And I, I, it's Thanksgiving, Levante and Monroe. I'm going to end the show with a little hopefulness. Yes. Uh, but um, anyway, we have run out of time. Monroe Anderson every Wednesday can't thank you enough since I'm thinking of uh, thankful things to say on Thanksgiving, dear friend of me and the show, the great Monroe Anderson and Levante Stewart. It's been too long, sir. We got to have you back more often. Uh, So and uh, next week, let's talk
1: about Thanksgiving and why um, Native Americans
2: aren't that thankful about it. Uh-oh.
4: <laughs> that's, uh-oh, that's a good one. And,
2: that's, and so the conversation will continue. Uh,
4: you call so, it after the turkey. After I'll the turkey. After the turkey. Right.
2: <laughs> All right, Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. Levante Stewart, thank you very much. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Levante Stewart will tell you, Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
4: All right. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. wondered how to say good morning in italian or what is goodbye in french you can ask alexa just say what is happy birthday in german or how do you say hello in japanese do you want to know how to say i love you in spanish ask alexa and start learning a new language today
0: support for this podcast and the following message come from coriant